This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman for the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Johnson & Johnson, the latest official vaccine now in the U.S., rolling out this week. Doesn't have to be stored in a special freezer. It's just one dose, and then once you get it, you're done. That's it. We'll take a look into how big of a role this particular vaccine is going to play in finally ending the pandemic. California, largest state in the country when it comes to people. Kids, though, some districts, including ours, Los Angeles, not in the classrooms. That could all change by the end of this month. State lawmakers reaching a deal to push the districts to reopen, or rather incentivize them with money. Let's begin with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and what it means in fighting the pandemic. Dr. Robert Wachter is professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at UC San Francisco. Doctor, it seems the messaging about these vaccines could be improved. Wouldn't it be correct to say that no matter what vaccine you get, they are virtually 100% effective at preventing deaths and hospitalizations from COVID? It is correct. Uh, I take away virtually from deaths. So they have been virtually 100% effective in preventing hospitalizations and 100% effective in preventing deaths. So you take any of these vaccines and the chances that you will die of COVID go to zero, which is astounding. I mean, if you told us that four months ago, that that's what we're going to have at our disposal, uh, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, too, it's too much It's too much to ask for, but that is, in fact, what we have. Yeah, it's the news we all wanted. So do you think that, that in, in light, we have somewhat of a problem? Because people do go into the articles and they read and they see these percentages and then they go, oh, I'm, I'm not going to get the, the Johnson & Johnson. I want the Pfizer. Or even there's arguments, you know, going on, on the internet. Well, don't get the Pfizer. Get the Moderna because there's less side effects. Well, either way, you're going to be protected, and if you get side effects, it's going to be a night or an afternoon, and it's way better than getting COVID. Yep. Well, uh, you, I, I couldn't say it better. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, the worst that we have seen in terms of side effects is people have a crummy couple of days where they feel fluish or, uh, you know, or, or just muscles hurt, that sort of thing. Uh, the uh, early reports we heard of severe allergic reactions turn out to be in one in a quarter of a million people. Uh, no one has yet died of any of them. And we still have more than a thousand people a day dying of COVID. Uh, so these vaccines are astoundingly effective, are completely safe. And uh, COVID is still a real threat. You know, we've seen the plunging curves of cases but there are still tens of thousands of cases a day, and some of those people will die. So to me, uh, when you can get a vaccine, that is the day you should get a vaccine. All right. So now, can you explain to people listening, again, to go back to the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine, and they may look at the figures and they go, well, it's uh, I think in the U.S. the the, uh, the efficacy was rated at about 72 percent, I think it was, somewhere around right. that area, right? Uh, so they do the math very quickly. And they think, well, that means I've got just about a 30% chance of getting COVID. Why should I take it? So what does it actually mean? So what the trials were designed to do was determine whether uh, people develop symptomatic COVID. And the 72% means that uh, there was a 72%, more than two-thirds reduction in the possibility of getting symptomatic COVID. Symptomatic COVID means you had a fever, you had a cough, you felt crummy, you went and got a COVID test and it was positive. So 95% is better. That 95% means there was a 95% reduction, not 100%. It means that there were people in Pfizer and Moderna 
who did get symptomatic COVID. But the key point is the one I made earlier and you made earlier, which is that, okay, you 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 can, you're a little bit more likely to get a case of COVID with symptoms with the J&J than you would be with the Pfizer and Moderna. But for all three of them, the chances that you would get super sick, and that's really what we care about, chances that you would get really sick, sick enough to go to the hospital, to go to an ICU, to be on a ventilator or to die were essentially zero with essentially, with really no deaths reported in any of the vaccine group. So they're equally good at the outcome that we care most about, which is, am I going to get really sick and die? One more point is that there's a little bit of apples to oranges here, and it's hard to know how much. Uh, and that is that the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, vaccines were tested earlier, and the J&J vaccine was tested later and tested at a point that these variants that we've heard so much about were much more prevalent. So we can't say with 100% certainty that if Pfizer or Moderna were tested at the same time that J&J had, that we wouldn't have seen a lower than number than 95%, maybe it would have been 80 or 85%. Hard to know, but I think the bottom line is the bottom line, which is that, that all three of them are extraordinarily effective in preventing you from getting really sick or dying, which is what we really care about. You mentioned uh, how the different vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, J&J, we're all tested at different times. Some uh, Johnson & Johnson one taking into account uh, variants. But by mentioning variants, it does open up uh, sort of a can of, of worms or a can of, my, uh, of uh, Sorry about coronavirus. That. No, no, or a can of, uh, <laughs> of coronaviruses. Uh, do we know whether or not those vaccines, which, as you said in the last segment, are 100 percent effective at preventing death from coronavirus, does that apply to these known variants? They appear to be uh, just about as effective with the variants that we're most worried about, which is the UK variant B117, which seems destined to become the dominant variant in the United States, as it already has done in the UK and in Israel. Uh, they also appear to be effective in the variant that we're seeing in California, which is sort of a uh, chip off the the block of the UK variant, very similar characteristics. It appeared the 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 California variant, at least so far, appears to be a little bit more infectious than the old virus, and not quite so much perhaps as the UK variant. But in any case, we think they're just about as effective. We're not seeing a ton of the more worrisome variants. That's the South African and Brazilian ones, where the uh, vaccine, they, where they do appear to be somewhat resistant to the vaccine. In most cases, the vaccine still works, but it degrades the effectiveness of the vaccine. So for example, the J&J, &J, when it was tested in South Africa, where it was tested partly, uh, it was 10 or 15% less effective than it was when it was tested, for example, in the United States. Are we still in the race then to get as many people vaccinated as we can before one of those has the ability to take hold? I mean, they, they say Johnson Johnson. Oh, here, here's our game changer. That's tossed around a lot. But when does the game change? You got to get it out. You got to manufacture it. You got to get it into arms. It could still be a month or two. Yeah, I don't see the J&J &J being the game changer. The game changer is when we get the combination of these three vaccines into as many arms as possible. And we're ramping up production of all three, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the J&J. &J, there's a lot of vaccine coming, but not that much for the next few weeks. So it's really the combination of all three. The fact that the J&J &J is a little bit easier because it's a single shot and the storage requirements are 
are uh, are more benign. It's you know you think about when the J and J would be particularly useful, getting it out to rural communities, giving it to someone when they come to the emergency room, for example, when you feel like you only have one shot at them, that kind of thing. It's really the combination. And yes, we're in a race. These the variants are becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, cases are are plunging. So we're in a pretty good space right now. And uh, if we can get a lot of people vaccinated in the, in the next month, then we may have enough immunity. So when the variants are beginning to start doing their damage, uh, there's enough down pressure on new cases that they never uh, create a fourth surge. That's what we're really trying to avoid. Are, are, are people, do you think, uh, too, perhaps, uh, maybe the media, too, in, included in this discussion, too focused on these variants, not not to, to say or suggest that down the road they may not play some significant uh, role in terms of the health of the world, but uh, are we losing sight of the fact from a practical point of view that these vaccines are highly effective uh, against what we really need to worry about for the immediate future at, at the expense of, of worrying too much about what might happen at some distant point in time? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the similar conversation about the vaccines. We focus on 72 percent, whereas three months ago, if you told me we'd have a 72 percent effective vaccine against all cases of covid and 100 percent effective against death, I would have kissed your ring. I was that spectacular. <laughs> and, you know, but it's not really uh, it's not really newsworthy. And the variants are are a little scary and exciting and new and we now have a race so that's that's a thing so yeah i think we all tend it's the way it's not just the media it's the way humans work uh, but the, the the real story here is we have these vaccines they're extraordinary they're safe we are winning the race right now we're getting them out there i think we've got an administration that's doing the right thing to get them out there and uh it you know the variants aren't nothing we've got to pay attention to them but what's become clear in the UK, where cases are coming down, in California, where cases are coming down, is if we can continue really pushing on the vaccination and once supply becomes more plentiful, the issue is, are people going to take the vaccinations? If they do, I think we will avoid uh, a fourth surge and we'll be heading towards something that looks like normal. If we don't, if we don't get them out fast enough or people choose not to take them, then we're in a much uh, uh, riskier spot. So there is a risk, but I think uh, I think we can avoid it. Dr. Robert Walker, Chief of the Department of Medicine, UC San Francisco. Coming up after this short break, California throwing money at the problem of closed schools. California's governor and state lawmakers reach a deal meant to get many kids back in school soon. It offers $2 billion for schools that return kids to classrooms by the end of March. It won't be all the kids right away, just K through second grade for many counties. So will the financial incentives be enough, especially with many teachers now getting vaccinated across the state? Phil Ting, chair of the Assembly Budget Committee, Democrat out of San Francisco. So Assemblyman, you might get some opposition from the unions. How much political capital are the Democrats willing to spend to buck the unions? Yeah, I think we got a broad um, feedback from stakeholders, whether it was superintendents, principals, administrators, as well as educators and parents. And we think that while this doesn't satisfy all their criteria, each and every single one, I think it satisfies most of them. So we believe that this plan will help get as many districts to open up as we possibly could hope for across the state. We already saw some of the posturing, though. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, we had the union saying, you know what, if we're in the purple tier because of infections, then we're not going. I mean, we have to make it to a place that's, in their eyes, better as we work on vaccines to get in. So 
what is going to be the the idea behind getting them back? I mean, yes, you have the carrot and the stick, so you're going to offer money and it'll start to expire if you don't get back by March. But I mean, UTLA has said vaccines are bust down here. Yeah. And, and let's just be frank. I mean, people are scared because we scared people for the last year, told everyone to stay home. So when you tell a group of workers, hey, uh, forget staying home like everybody else, please come back to work. Uh, there, there definitely is a certain amount of fear. Uh, Superintendent Butner of LAUSD said, hey, give me 25,000 vaccines and we can open up LAUSD. My understanding is that uh, the 25,000 vaccines are on the way. Uh, we're setting aside 10% of the state's allotment starting March 1st, uh, starting today, for educators. We hope that'll really get the vaccination push a huge jumpstart. And is there a backup plan uh, in the event? Because it's happened in other parts of the world where the schools open up and, you know, because viruses are viruses, despite the best intentions, sometimes you do have outbreaks. And there have been cases in other parts of the world where schools, including the lower grades, had to shut back down again. Is there a backup plan for that? Well, every district is in charge of, of really monitoring their situation. So I imagine uh, every district does have a plan in case there is an outbreak. And some districts have decided to stay closed no matter what, just because of the huge community outbreak they're in. And so we're, we're very much monitoring that. And we're, we're very concerned, especially for those most vulnerable communities in LA that have huge outbreaks. Um, they have huge learning loss. So we're trying to figure out really, how do, we, how do we further help them, even though they probably can't open back up because of the surrounding community. For parents who are hearing this and they're very excited because they can get the kids back, do they, though, need to prepare themselves for that scenario that, yeah, we could get through a few weeks or a month and then you could get that email that says everybody's home for at least a few days while we figure out this because there's been an exposure? Well, well, the one thing that we've seen this last year is there's a huge amount of uncertainty. Uh, we, however, have a lot more information. The information's a lot better than we did last March. So we know how the virus is transmitted. We know how to protect ourselves. We've seen the doctors really talk about, you know, if you follow the six feet of distance, plus everyone's wearing masks in a classroom, we really haven't seen the outbreaks uh, because of that, especially amongst younger children. So we're hoping that the districts will follow those health and safety protocols. And, uh, and based on that, we're hoping that there will be limited outbreaks. Again, that doesn't mean zero transmission. There's a difference between no outbreaks and zero transmission. So we still anticipate there will be transmission, but the whole point is to really minimize an outbreak at a particular school. Assemblyman Phil Ting, Democrat from San Francisco, chair of the Assembly Budget Committee. Hand sanitizers have been flying off the shelves since the pandemic started. They've also ended up in the tummies of kids. Poison control centers have gotten more calls about little children who had accidentally ingested it. Data from the American Association of Poison Control Centers finds there were more than 20,000 exposures to hand sanitizer among children under six last year. That's an increase of 40% from 2019. In many cases, no symptoms were reported, which means that the child might have only taken a brief taste or lick. But children in other cases experienced vomiting, cough, and mouth irritation. We're on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.